You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. I lost connection already for a second there. <laughs> oh my goodness. We can't have this again. Good start. I know. Where did you, uh, where do you live in Canada, Emma? Uh, so I'm from Calgary, Alberta. I uh, have lived a little bit all over, but uh, residing here now. So we're about like an hour from the mountains or a little less, depending on where exactly you are in the city and where you go. I think Calgary would be like my, I lo- I've probably been to Calgary a half a dozen times, I would say, in my life. And having such close access, like urban area, but then you can get away and feel like you're in true wilderness in, a, in like 45 minutes. Yeah, it's insane. It's crazy. Yeah, it's so funny to be, as you say, like in the urban setting and downtown and like full on city life. And then you can drive for 45 minutes and not see a soul for a long time. So it's pretty, pretty cool combo. It is. I mean, I, I drive 50 minutes. Bracken got to make this drive with me a couple of weeks ago. It's 50 minutes from my house to get to a ski hill, which has 200 to 250 feet of gain. That's the biggest hill I can get to. Right. I know. Stomp, great training grounds. But if I drove 50 minutes from Calgary, I could go find a 2,500 foot climb if I needed to. Yeah. Or That's more. That's cheating. That's cheating. <laughs> yeah. You should move up here. It's great. Mm. I don't think it would take much convincing to get Kirk to move up there. No? Mm-mm. I see that green card. Perfect. You can make it happen. I don't think you're letting us in yet, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. No. Now's, that was definitely not a good time. There's You don't want to be up here anyway. Everything's closed. <laughs> Everything's locked down? Yeah, for the most part. Is that a recent re-lockdown or have you just been locked down? Uh, it's been on and off, but recently for the past few months, it's been fairly strict still. Really? Yeah. They've, it's a free-for-all here now. I know. It's exciting to watch. It's nice. <laughs> In what way? Like get the popcorn ready sort of way or what? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's just nice that uh, people are you know able to live their lives and things can stay open. Are your trails open? Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's nice. Good. Yeah. No, we have, we have access to that last spring around this time parks closed, like national parks, you couldn't access via vehicle and same with provincial parks. So that was different, but um, it was kind of fun to just get creative and bike to where you wanted to do your run or ski. So it was all good. Still, still super fortunate. I have nothing to complain about here living in Canada. I feel like the hardest part would be not the hardest part. There's lots of hard parts about this, but like in the States here, we are pretty much back to like, you know, 70% of even like athletic events and everything else. And in Canada, have you opened up anything yet? Can you have organized events? Not really. I don't think so. Like there's still, there's still events that are planned to go through in July and further. So hopefully that does happen. But right now it's like, you're not even really allowed to train with other people technically. Uh, Unless they're from your household. Yeah. No COVID modified races like we have here in the States at times or anything. You're just no opportunities. Yeah, no opportunities. But there's a lot of like people doing time trials or other FKT events or uh, yeah, Strava type events have been pretty popular over the last year of having different uh, different challenges. So it's again, there's it's unfortunate that there's not many races, but there's still lots to do. 
If you all slept over at the same house the night before, would you be considered from the same household? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I, I often think of those excuses in my head, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to justify things. We all started from the same house this morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should just all change our licenses and then be okay. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's an interesting debacle though of like, you still, we still want to be safe and it would suck to, to contaminate people if we did have it. So you're kind of towing the line of you want to do stuff, but at the same time you are wondering how strictly to follow the guidelines. Are you vaccinated? I am. Yeah. First round. First round. Yeah. And how old are you? 27. But you're, are you a first responder? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you were, you were able to get that right away? Not right away. Uh, Alberta was kind of delayed in allowing firefighters to get it, but uh, I've had it for a few weeks now. So that's good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did it impact your training or were you good? Uh, getting the vaccine? Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't feel really anything from it. So hopefully the body did react to it, but <laughs> yeah, it was okay. I was perusing your Instagram before this, Emma. So we're talking to Emma Cook-Clark today, folks, by the way. And you're part of like the OCR dream team, first of all, correct? Yeah. I, I, we, we want to get to your story, right? Because I don't know you very well. And Bracken, I don't think you two go back very far, correct? None. None far. None, none far. So obviously, um, and the OCR dream team, do you want to explain what that is a little bit, Emma, uh, so people understand? Like, it's kind of a big deal that you were selected for this. Well, thanks. I'm uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, yeah, so the OCR Dream Team is a project that Nicole Miracle has spearheaded. She has been thinking about this for a while, sort of a long time coming, uh, mostly inspired by the, the discrepancy between the amount of male and females in the sport of OCR. And so she was hoping to change that by supporting people and inspiring females to get into the sport. Um, so yeah, she created this, what she called a dream team. She selected five athletes and she's providing support through basically all the, all the categories that an athlete could use support in and that could help bring them to that next level. Uh, so a little bit of financial support. A lot of her sponsors have come on board to, to provide the athletes with some products. Um, so VJ Shoes, Alt Red, Sir, um, honey stinger, darn tough socks, inside tracker as well. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing any. And then a lot of the major races have also granted free entry for the athletes. Um, and then she's also put together this like epic crew of female professionals from nutrition to mental health performance to strength and running coaching. So really it's like the, the professional athlete treatment as in my case, uh, an amateur in the sport, but with, I guess, big hopes of coming onto the scene and being able to be part of the, you know, OCR kick-ass, oh, good athletes. We swear, yeah, Canadians don't swear, do they? No, never. You are permitted to speak freely. <laughs> yes. All I know is, I don't know about you, Brack, I'm getting, I was getting a twinge of uh, envy there as she was listing off how complete this organization is. I'm yeah. very impressed. <laughs> It's kind of what excited Kirk and I from the beginning is that other sports have this. Nike had their farm team for years for developing young runners to try to bring them up to the pro level. And and Major League Baseball has the minor leagues and NBA has their, their Drew League, the G League, all that type of stuff. And OCR doesn't have anything because there was... There was no financial incentive mm -hmm. for people to even try to create the next generation. But we always talk about how in our sport, 
the women's fields are three to five years behind the men's in terms of depth, quantity, and quality of people in there. At the top, the very top of the women are as good or better than the top of the men. Mm -hmm. But where a men's field might be 10 or 15 people capable of taking top three, the women's field might have five right. in any given race. And so this is the first truly cohesive group that was a targeted intent to fix that. And we've already had Nicole on and we've already had Morgan on. And it just made sense that we should we should get to know the entirety of the crew. And if the if I mean if the idea is truly to promote from within, then the first thing that we can do is introduce you to the to the world. Oh, cool. So not that we have <laughs> a direct connection to every person that matters, but <laughs> you know, if if our core following can get on board with supporting this, then it just kind of helps raise the entire thing up. So we're excited to get to know you because I would say that very few people south of our northern border have a, an idea of who you are as an athlete and as a person. So we wanted to dive into that today and and let you kind of announce yourself to the OCR world. Nice. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you uh, supporting the OCR Dream Team initiative. Um, and I think that it's cool that, uh, yeah, I think in in the role that I'm in currently, Sure, I feel very honored to have the support, but there's also a responsibility in my eyes to pay that forward and and be like a uh, not being articulate at all right now, but an example almost of like oh this there's this girl that nobody knows who hasn't done this before, and let's see like how her process is, and hopefully other people can be on board as well and do the same thing. Yeah, because on the men's side, it hasn't taken much prodding to get young, adventurous, single men to give up their lives and jump into trying to become an, uh, an endurance racer or an obstacle racer. Huh. It kind of jives with the, the adventuresome spirit that most young guys have. Right. But because a lot of women are just a little bit more pragmatic and career minded, hmm. they're not just going to put their life on hold and go after something that seems to be not as either attainable or as useful. And I think that you're that first generation that gets to show here's a, a path and a reason for going after this for a while. Hmm. Yeah, it's certainly exciting. And I think it can be like scary to make a commitment to something hmm. or to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. Um, but it's a great, great opportunity to try. What's the worst that can happen? Before, before we're going to get to who you are, I want to know what do you think it was um, that made you stand out in their eyes? Because I know a lot of women, it sounded like applied to be a part of this OCR dream team. What, uh, what are some of the things that, you know, the shiny objects that they saw in you or the potential, like why, why you, I guess, is what I'm asking in a roundabout way. Hmm. It's probably a good question for Nicole. <laughs> and that's a tough, that's a very difficult question to answer when it's about yourself. I know. Yeah. Um, well, I know that she was for the for the elite division, I guess, or the dream team per se. She was hoping to um, select athletes who had some strong athletic potential to begin with, uh, just so that there can almost be like a quick progression. Um, so less of that, like coming from a couch and then going and racing, but more so coming from an athletic background and then transferring over to this new sport, but hopefully being able to do okay because of whatever background you have. So. I think that's part of it. Like I have a, a running background as well as have done a various amount of other sports, uh, like team sports, but also just outdoor activities. Um, so I, that's in, in my mind, I think why she selected was seeing some like athletic 
strong background. And then also, um, even though I don't have this specific OCR experience, I've got other experience that can maybe transfer over. Uh, and then I also like to think that my attitude towards like helping bring other women into the sport was maybe a contributing factor as well. Certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. So you have, so you don't have any OCR specific experience yet. I like it. I like that roll of the dice. Yeah, I know. It's a big gamble. I was just wondering, are you the only one on the on the OCR Dream Team then who has not done OCR yet? I think so, yeah. That's so cool. I like that. So yeah. that's a spicy little nugget I wanted to hit, but I want to hit when we get to it. Okay. You so, knew about this? Well, I know she didn't have any any uh, any race results. Yeah, I didn't find any. That's why I text Bracken before this, Emma, and I was like, I can't find anything about this woman. <laughs> I don't know what I'm getting into. And now this is starting to make sense mm -hmm. on the OCR results scene anyways. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's like, think of all OCR athletes. That's how they all start is no mm -hmm. OCR experience. And then they get into it. And you see that on the male and the female side, people make some pretty quick advancements yeah. just through, you know, hard work and training and previous experience. So. So the previous experience is what obviously we're intrigued about to begin with. Okay. So take us back, yeah. rewind back to the beginning and take us through your athletic journey. Sure. From from day one? Whatever your day one to get here was, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, both my parents are quite outdoorsy. They both moved to the mountains because of the love of doing things outside. So growing up, we were always hanging out outside together. I have an older brother, two years older. Um, so I would always be chasing him or, or running away from him if I had harassed him and he was trying to beat me up. Um, anyway, so just did lots outside from paddling trips to biking to a little bit of climbing or backpacking um, and really grew an appreciation for using my body and being in outdoor spaces. And then I did a bit of gymnastics growing up for a few years, which was a great foundation. I ended up quitting that because it was at the point where I would be training twice a day as a like 10 year old. And I just thought that was a bit, uh, a bit committing when I wanted to do all these other sports as well. So you obviously were relatively good. Um, yeah, it was competitive. Um, but we've had a few gymnasts on here. Oh yeah. Nice. Rhea, obviously. Yeah. What were you drawn to about gymnastics? Is that like your mom or someone was involved or you just picked it up socially? My mom actually did compete in gymnastics when she was growing up. Okay. Um, so that was part of it. I think a lot of kids up here went in gymnastics just because, yeah, it is a, a great foundational type of training. And it's really fun. You get to jump on a trampoline and swing on bars and hang out with friends. Uh, so I think that's what drew me and also the, the physical and mental challenge as well. It required a lot of focus. Um, a lot of determination and a lot of falling really hard and <laughs> doing it again. My parents mandated that we all took gymnastics until we were eight. You you had to go at least through eight and then you could quit. But okay. for that very purpose, they wanted us to learn spatial awareness and how to fall. Perfect. And and then and then you could quit. And my youngest sister quit very early. The rest of us continued longer. But I would say that you you don't hear it a lot, but it might be the best foundational athleticism I think you can build because your body awareness is outstanding after that. Yeah, I agree. And all of your siblings. I mean, I mean, how many high level or professional athletes came out of your family, Bracken? Maybe there's a little something to that. I mean, it, it like we said before, it can't hurt. The ability to fall, to find yourself in space and fall really translates to every sport. 
-hmm. So you went through 10 and then what did you translate to? To interrupt real quick, sorry, this is all in Calgary. So you've lived in, this is, they moved to Calgary or are you, are you somewhere else as a kid growing up? Yeah, no, grew up in Calgary. In Calgary, okay. Yeah. You retired at 10 to avoid two a days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, slacker. What'd you transition to? Uh, okay, I don't know if I did that math right, but after elementary school and then going into junior high, I quit and then I just wanted to do every sport I could in school. Mm -hmm. So I played soccer like on the side and club soccer and then did a bunch of other sports at a very low level of competition. Like it wasn't serious at all, but it was just fun to run around. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so yeah, did that through junior high and then same in high school uh, where I did a bit of cross country, but I would just go to the races. <laughs> so I do like two races a year. I thought the practices would be really boring. So instead I focused on soccer and rugby and a bit of basketball. Um, yeah, so and they allowed you to do that. The coaches had something worked out where you were allowed to go to other practices and then just show up to the meets. Yeah, it, I think it was more of a just that's what I did. And I, I would have been a much nicer athlete to them and much more coachable if I actually did show up. But um, yeah, couldn't do it all and figured a soccer practice would be just as good as a running practice in some ways. So did I hear you correctly? You had cross country? Yeah. Soccer? Yeah. Which is a semi-normal pairing. Yeah. Basketball yeah. and rugby. Yeah. This might be the first four-sport athlete that included rugby we've talked to. <laughs> it was really fun. Rugby was always in the spring, so soccer um, finished up before that. Same with basketball, obviously, and then cross-country was the fall. And then it'd be rugby in the spring and then a bit of track and field, which same thing, I would just go to the races um, slash events. Sometimes I would be put in like shot put or something random just because we needed the numbers to fill it. Um, but yeah, rugby was so fun. It was such a such a team sport. It really was amazing how much you had to rely on your team. Um, so I really enjoyed that, that component and building of trust with everyone. And again, it's a lot of running, so it was good practice. We don't have widespread female rugby league in America. In fact, even men's rugby isn't very highly attended. Okay. I, I didn't even realize that it was a international sport until mm -hmm. my sister went off to university and she had sisters on her team playing basketball who were also on, who also grew up playing rugby. And then they transitioned to the Canadian national rugby team afterwards. Oh, wow. Nice. But until that point, I didn't know there was a Canadian national rugby team. And then they said, oh yeah, we all grew up, we grew up playing rugby there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, kind of wild. It's uh, increasing in popularity for sure. I went like 28 years of my life without knowing one female who played rugby. Huh. Cool. And yet it's a, uh, it seems like a normal sport up there, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is normal. And it, it depends on the area too. I think, uh, some people in different places growing up didn't have it at all, and now it's really booming. And in other communities, like some rural communities, farm communities mostly, it mm. was very popular. And it, it makes sense. It's a it's a good athletic sport. Physical. Oh, yeah. What of, what of those four sports you listed, it sounds like running wasn't at the top of them for your, <laughs> your heart's desires. What was the top of your list? If you had to pick one, then obviously it wasn't one of the running, I'm assuming, sports. Yeah, and I, I – I just didn't give running a chance. I would hardly go on runs. That wasn't something that was interesting to me. Um, but I did love exerting myself to the limit in those team sports that I played. So um, <clears throat> it was obvious that I enjoyed running for a reason. 
but just to go for like an easy road run I wasn't into. And that's kind of what I thought <clears throat> just pursuing the sport of running would be like, it was just kind of boring and on your own. And so the team component is what I really was excited about. Um, so I, yeah, I'd say soccer and rugby, was, it'd be a tie for which one I liked the most, just the community that you'd get with your your friends and how you'd you'd work so well together and exert yourself and yeah have to be accountable like in practice you work on these things and then in in games it's showtime and there's pressure like you get to you have to catch the ball or else you'll lose well that's it's they're so they couldn't be more different actually didn't this come up recently bracken on one of our episodes like the appeal about about running is that you don't have to rely on anybody else and their loss isn't your loss because you get to see the reward of your hard work directly related mm -hmm. it's not it's all on you. So you can take all the responsibility where the team sports, it doesn't work that way. You can have your best game ever and still lose the match mm -hmm. in, in a sense, but it sounds like, so they're very like different ways to frame your brain. I feel like in those two sports. And, and I would also say, and maybe I'm wrong here, but like, I would imagine that you never even came close to seeing your potential in track or cross country races ever, which wouldn't necessarily make you sink your teeth into those sports further if you weren't maybe training properly. So you probably had more success in the team sports as well when you were younger. Is that right? Or am I just guessing wrong there? Yeah, no, I think that's for sure partly correct. I mean, if you don't train for something, you can't expect to have the best performance that you're capable of. Um, I think too, the I've mentioned the social component. And so I, I really deprived myself of that in the running because I wouldn't go to practices or anything. So I'd go to these meets and I, I would feel like I wasn't friends with anyone and everyone else was so clicky and it's just because they spent time together. So I, I did myself, I mean, I wouldn't say a disservice, but I didn't get an accurate representation of the sport until university. Are you a very social creature by nature? Mm, yes and no. I do. I enjoy alone time as well, but I, I like to around people i find it really fun that makes sense so all through high school you did four sports yeah pretty much at least <laughs> what were you best at i know you said you liked mm. soccer and rugby most but heading off towards university what were you clearly better at one thing uh well so i knew that running i was decent at because i would not train and then i would perform fairly well what does fairly well look like I think in my, my grade 10 year, so my first year of high school at Provincials for Cross, I got fourth, and then the next two years was fifth. Um, and then- With literally, sorry, I get interrupted, with no, like, no run specific practice other than the meet. None, like zero. Yeah. God. And Provincial for you is like a state yes. or regional competition for us. Yeah. So you're top five in your US version of your state without training. Yeah, but I like without specific training, but with I mean, you can you can you can spin it however you want and be <laughs> humble. And I appreciate that. But the fact is, the other girls in the top 20 or every girl who qualified for provincials was training for running. Maybe. So you might have been doing other sorts of fitness, but you went top five without showing up to team practice. Mm -hmm. So you might be underselling your <laughs> I might be I might have been OK. So you were top five in your province. Yeah. And you weren't going to practice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate humility. Hmm? But we also are going to break you up so people understand actually what's going on with your ability. Thanks. Hype team. <laughs> yep, that's right. So top five, three straight years. Yeah. 
And so you got to the end of to end of 12th grade. And what did you decide? Yeah. So at that point, I was still really into rugby. I applied for the provincial team that summer uh, and competed there, which was a blast to be with like some of the top gals in the province. It was definitely humbling, um, but also really cool to be exposed to that and to compete nationally or like on the national level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then going forward, I had a decision to make, obviously, if I continued to pursue that or what. Uh, I knew I wanted to go to university at some point, but I also knew that I wanted to get out of Dodge and travel. So I ended up um, taking off for a year and spent a lot of time in Asia and then a bit of time in Europe. Um, and then coming back to university, I had to well, make We can't gloss choice. over that. <laughs> you left the country. Is this for the first time in your life? No, I traveled with my family a little bit. To, to okay, so your family was an adventurous traveling family. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go solo after high school? I went with my mom for part of it and then solo for part of it and then met up with a friend for part of it. Where did you and your mom start? We started in India, of all places. <laughs> really? Yeah. So we had wanted to go for a while. And uh, kind of the reason that we started there actually was I had applied for this organization. It's the, what my email address, the end of is. It's impossible to possible. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So it was founded by um, a Canadian, Ray Zahab, and an American, Bob Cox. Uh, Ray has done some insane things, like ran across the entire Sahara Desert, uh, done extreme expeditions in like all continents. Uh, and Bob is also a phenomenal athlete. So they um, have this organization that aims to inspire, educate, and empower people all over the world. Uh, and they do these exp- expeditions, both with adults, but then also youth expeditions. And so four of us youth ran across the uh, desert in uh, the Thar Desert in Rajasthan in India um, for like 270 something K over a week. And we stopped in at schools and health clinics and stuff along the way to, to learn more. And then there were students that followed from all around the world to, to learn about what we we're doing and also the topic of that year, which was world health. So you ran across 270 K. Is that like 180 miles? Roughly? It was about a marathon a day, I think it averaged. A marathon a day for how long? A week? Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. Let's call it 180 miles in a week while doing community outreach. Yeah. Yeah, it was so cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wild week for anyone. Had you trained for that purpose leading up to this? We we did have a training program that we were meant to follow. Um, Okay. So I kind of followed it, but I also was (laughs) focusing on rugby and doing other things and then I got to India a few months prior to it so then that became a whole other um you know can of beans to try and train in a a different country where I was not really allowed to be in anything other than baggy long pants and a long sleeve and where people don't run for fun and especially not women so it was kind of funny to try and like hide where I would go run and train but found some really great spots to do it and it it turned out okay but yeah the the run itself across the desert was a huge learning experience. It was, I, I attribute most of my athletic success after that point to that, that event itself. It was extremely difficult, of course, but 
the four of us had to work together so much. And so I really realized, holy cow, running is a team sport. It's definitely not individual. It's like almost the, yeah, the team mattered most in that than it had in any of the other sports I had done in the past. And at, at, at some point in every episode, we get to that one thing we could spend an entire episode talking about. And I feel like we've got here. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, it's it was it's a phenomenal organization. They do some really impressive things. And it's, yeah, I'm so grateful that I was able to do it. So I, I feel like I have gaps in this. Okay. <laughs> You're very humbly broad stroking this, but let's start from the beginning of this process. How did you find imp Impossible to Possible, that organization? Mm, yeah, my mom was a prof at the university and okay. one of her students had done it. So one of her students was a short track speed skater from Canada and had gone on an expedition. And what is the mission of Impossible to Possible? So yeah, they their main mission is to educate, inspire, and empower. So that can be brought in a lot of different ways but <laughs> and then one of the ways is to pair it with hyper endurance travel while making social outreach along the way yeah yeah so that for sure goes into the like inspire and empower part of watching people do things that they didn't think they could do and watching these limits just be broken down time after time um so is this like a cruise where it's all inclusive, where like they arrange your travel, they arrange where you stay, they arrange you with a guide, they arrange your itinerary, or is this a, when you get here, you're going to have to do this. And so here's your training plan and you need to follow it, arrive prepared, and we'll see you when we start. What What is that whole process like? It was kind of a, like halfway in between that. It, okay. They took care of a lot of the details, especially because we were youth. So I was, uh, yeah, 18 at the time. So I don't know they're a little bit liable for me. Was the training on your own though? You, they just said, yeah. here's what you should do and yeah. you do what you can to get there. Yeah. And then you and your mom traveled over by yourselves mm -hmm. and, and you were in India for how long before you actually started your, do you call it a mission? What is it? Uh, I'd say like expedition. Okay. So prior from landing till expedition start, how long were you in India? About two months. So you had to spend two months of getting to know the culture and trying to train wearing baggy clothes and hiding <laughs> the fact that you were a female training. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. Talk about that. I want to hear all of this. Okay. So one of the, the biggest things in self-control was just trying to not uh, experiment with food. <laughs> it yeah. was like all the street food is so exciting and so delicious, but uh, knowing that if I got extremely ill, that could set me back a few weeks. So um, yeah, we just were really careful about what we ate and where we got it from, and obviously the water we drank. Was that a challenge to source water that you knew was was absolutely solid? It turned into just a lot of bottled water, <laughs> yeah, or boiled water for tea and that sort. What of kind of place did you stay in? We stayed in all sorts of things. Uh, guest houses are pretty common there, so it's like kind of a hotel room, but they're it's in a smaller type venue, and it's quite inexpensive. Uh, we stayed, we had a connection with an orphanage over there. So we stayed there and did some, some hanging out for a little bit. Um, and then some, my family had been over prior to around a school. So we hung out with the family there, uh, did some camping and trekking it kind of varied. Okay. What, was, uh, what was the reason for the two months early? Is that like suggested or was it like, Hey, it's summer and I'm on vacation in quotes for a little while. 
Two months seems like a long time. Yeah, no, it was more just my my like timeline <laughs> in that I wanted to get out and travel. Okay. And, and I'm wondering, like, obviously, there's got to be a lot of credit going to your parents with all of this and who you've become, I'm sensing, because I don't know any 18-year-old girl, endurance athlete or not, who would even remotely entertain that without scoffing at the idea and dismissing it completely. So, like... Uh, how on earth is it? If somebody presented me with that opportunity right now, I'd be like, get bent. I got other things going on. And that sounds like a little much for me right now, let's call mm -hmm. it. And here you are 18, making a decision like that. Like that just seems like a insurmountable decision to be making. Like why, how, I don't, I want to know that answer more before we talk about the trip specifically. Uh, and this is for the, the run itself you're speaking of I like the whole experience to go to to lay university and to go spend that much time in a foreign country and then know <laughs> you're running a marathon a day and doing service work or at least something along the way like holy cow that's not a normal 18 year old girl that's what i'm saying yeah um i think it almost seemed less intimidating than committing to sitting in a chair and being bound to schoolwork for the next like five years um touché, so, touché. so that was part of it um for sure my parents played a huge role in always providing us with adventures and um making us excited to learn via just seeing the world so um it it at the time it didn't feel like a very scary decision or or something that would i would yeah regret or anything it was just an opportunity and time to take it. I think it wasn't until I was at the airport leaving that I realized, oh, wow, it's going to be kind of sad to not see my dad and brother for a year and then to not see my friends and to, to live this different life. But no, it, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think just they raised us in a bit of a, a different way where we learned so much from being out and doing things that it was a really, really exciting opportunity to go continue to do that. Had your mom done something like this before? She traveled quite a bit, yes. I'm talking the specific impossible to possible. Oh, no, not that. Neither of my parents were runners, but they, we did, we would do like two week long canoe trips together or bike trips and stuff. Okay. So, so, yeah, I guess sort of similar in the, you know, grind. So, obviously, my mind goes back to training. Hmm. Did your mom start training with you solo? Did she prep for this? While we were in India? Prior. Oh, prior. Um, actually, yeah. So I would run and my mom or dad sometimes would bike beside me. <laughs> and then I have some other friends who were doing longer distance things. So I would run with them as well. But your mom did this expedition with you, right? No, she didn't. Oh, she did not. No. Yeah, no. Okay. So then you get over to India. Mm -hmm. It would be hard enough to train for a a race that long for us, 180 miles for you, 270 kilometers in a week. Mm -hmm. uh, Kirk and I had this question come up to us on a, a Q and A episode, which is, how long would you need to prepare to run an ultra marathon? Mm -hmm. We said minimum you need six weeks to get ready to go race one, but you're getting ready to do a marathon a day for a week. So obviously, our answer would be longer than six weeks, but <laughs> it's it sounds like you underplayed your training. You just did. While you were over, you know, still back in Canada, you didn't really take your running that seriously. When you got to India, did that ramp up or did it stay semi-consistent? Yeah, I mean, I tried. <laughs> I tried to run more. How many days a week did you run? Yeah, 
embarrassed, maybe like two. Okay. <laughs> but, well, you can be embarrassed we're, we're, about that, but it makes the, the accomplishment even more impressive. Yeah, I think though, so there's, and I, you guys have talked about this before, I'm sure, but there's a difference between like racing something and completing it. And so sure. for this expedition, it was less about, okay, we're going to go as fast as we can throughout. It was, okay, we're we're going to suffer through some sand and suffer through a lot of heat mm-hmm. and we're probably going to walk for some of it and we're definitely going to cry and we're going to have some pain in different places, but we're going to do everything we can to get through it. Um, so yeah, I, I for sure could have been better prepared going in. Um, oh, I'm not criticizing your training. I'm trying to wrap my head around the process that went into it because you're in a foreign country yeah. twice per week. You're, you're bundling up and sneaking out to find a place to train. What did those runs look like? Uh, some of them were great. Sometimes we'd find roads that were like hardly used or we'd go at weird like early morning hours in the daylight still. Um, but yeah, it, it varied. Cities were in some ways easier because they're a bit more um, modern. And so it was more accepted, I guess. Um, and then also being in the mountains was easy too because on trails you could just go run or even just hike was really good training. Do they have good mountains over there? Yeah, big time. Amazing mountains. Have you heard of the Himalayas? I've heard of them, but I didn't know where you were situated. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate sarcasm. Um, Yeah, so... Because you haven't mentioned a city that you stayed in yet. Okay, yeah. The first few months, we we were in the north, which was like right in the mountain for the most part. I want to know when you get into this whole thing, like the the training, I, I get that's wild that you completed this on that sort of training. But what I want to know is like the troubleshooting along the way, how you had any energy left to stop somewhere Mm. and be productive when all you should probably be thinking about is like getting yourself back to square for the next day Mm -hmm. and all all of that. Like how many times did we sit down and cry? How many times did we have to carry somebody else's stuff? How many blisters were on your feet? How often did you regret your decision along the way in the moment? Like all those things. Oh yeah, those are my curiosities. There's a lot of all of those things. Um, there was a really great support group that we had with us of um, of people who had done lots of other ultra running themselves. How many total were there with your expedition? Mm, I think there was probably twelve of us in total. Okay, how many were campers and how many were uh, were crew? So there were four of us that were running, and okay. then we had two support runners they called out them behind us who are like phenomenal ultra runners. And this was just a, a complete walk in the park for them, but they were there to yeah support us when we needed it, but they wanted to take like a, a bit of a, a backseat approach to let us kind of figure out most of the things on our own. And then, uh, Oh, that number is probably larger actually, cause they were drivers of the vehicles. So, so you had vehicles following you? Yeah, yeah, with food and all of the camping equipment and stuff. So that answers the water and food question. Yeah, no, we weren't carrying everything. They would set up usually like at 10 kilometer intervals and we'd feast. And then um, there was a few doctors that were there, which combined in with that world health topic. Um, there was a teacher to help with the curriculum that was being broadcasted out. Um, and then both the founders were there as well. And then there was a larger crew that would help with the camp setup and the meal prep as well. So you had a caravan traveling village to village, site to site, and you six to eight would run 
site to site, mm-hmm. village to village. Yeah, yeah, correct. And at times we would start early so that we would not run in the heat of the day and we'd have lunch and just like nap in the shade if we could. And then we'd get back out there and continue till night. And then once we got into camp, it would be like, okay, get the feet up, like fix the blisters and whatever else you need. Try and eat some food. Often we didn't really feel like it. And then uh, probably do like a video call for for uh, the schools that are in different time zones and recordings of things. What, what did that component look like? How much work were you doing per day? Uh, I don't know, maybe like an hour or two. So it wasn't, it wasn't very work. It was more, it was sort of uh, just a question and answer type thing. So. Okay kind of you just speak from the heart and it wasn't it wasn't awful um it was pretty cool too to get the energy from people all over that definitely helped fuel us there were some times too where there'd be kids over there that would follow us and run along or have their bikes and hi mom hi mom how are you (laughs) yeah it's really fun (laughs) was it mostly sand running Mm, less than i thought actually when you picture desert, I picture like huge sand dunes, but uh, there was some of that for sure. And then there's some sort of like sand roads. And then we did run a little bit on on a paved road that was kind of interesting in its own way. Uh, so yeah. In what way? <laughs> um, <laughs> for one, the, the roadkill there. <laughs> um, it just gets so compacted into the road that it would almost look like the asphalt, but then you'd see the like jaws of a wild dog or you'd see this snake outline that had just been splattered so flat. <laughs> so it's like, kind of curious. Um, and then lots of um, vehicles that are like, what are you guys doing? Honking and making loud noises. And um, fortunately for this part, we were running in shorts and a t-shirt which was really good for the temperatures, but also for, um, you know, it wasn't the most culturally sensitive thing to do. So that drew some attention as well. How much attention? Were there any situations? Um, Not, nothing like super confrontational, but just a lot of curiosity for sure. Disapproving or curiosity? I'm sure there's some disapproving, um, but the whole situation of four people and two girls running through is like, what, what, what's going on? I'm confused. So I, I, I hope it was mostly curiosity. I, uh, I want you to shoot from the hip here. How many, how many blisters do you think you got? Whoa. Uh, some of them just combined into one massive blister, <laughs> but, um, that's when, you know, you're talking to someone who's had blisters <laughs> when they talk about when they combine into one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know, like, 10 per feet foot a lot we got a lot between our toes from the sand uh, um, so some people had recommended running in like toe socks but the the crew was they were so experienced that they had all these tricks that we hardly noticed the blisters being a problem okay how many how many times did you cry in the seven days I need the good stuff here. Yeah, good question. I actually think I probably didn't cry all that many times, maybe twice or something. Um, That's impressive. But this was a while ago, so I'm probably forgetting. But it was just such a like insane experience that um, even though it sometimes it hurt, it was like too remarkable to feel upset almost. What was the temperature like day and night? Oh. Fahrenheit, I'd have to do some. You, you, you can do Celsius if you need to. We can convert for you. Yeah, night, it chilled down. So probably like, I don't know, six degrees. 
10, 6 to 10 degrees. And then daytime, it was hot, like would get up to over 40 probably. Really? Celsius. So it was real. Mm-hmm. Over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. Is that right, Kirk? Sure. <laughs> how many how many calories do you think you ate a day? Oh, lots, but probably not enough. <laughs> That's probably the right <laughs> true answer. I, I think this is, I think we're, we're we're drilling on this experience because you said something that made us drill on it. And, and, and it is that you said from there forward, it has been the most important thing that you have done that has shaped you maybe athletically since, correct? So I feel like the, the reason we're digging into this is because obviously this is a large part of setting you up to like how you got on this podcast today Aww. in a sense. Isn't that, isn't that accurate in some capacity? I think so. I think the the other part of this experience that makes it so easy to pinpoint that, yes, this was the, the, ch- the game changer. It was just the extent of it, like it being long, it being in a foreign country, it being something completely unique to what I'd done before, uh, it being the, the team and relationships that were built from it. Like it was just such a large event um, that it makes it easy to like focus back on it and and know that that was a bit of a yeah a monumental mm-hmm. event that happened i'm sure that a lot of what had happened previous in my life played into how that expedition happened as well but um yeah i think you're accurate in saying that it's it was a major thing <laughs> i have a few more questions about this whole thing before we transition yeah. out of it yeah so first is what was the lowest point of it both for yourself and um, whoever in the group had the lowest point? Yeah, good question. Uh, it's really interesting to be together for almost the entire time. Like that was the point is that we stayed as a unit. It wasn't this like, hey, bye, I'll see you at the next checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that we worked together. And and that means that when you're having a really good time and you're feeling fresh and great, like you've got to go to whatever level the person who's at their worst is having, and you've got to figure out what your your role is in that circumstance. And then same vice versa when everyone else is feeling fresh and you're totally bonked and upset and like hurting in every way, uh, you've yeah. got to figure out what, what you do. Do you like ask them to walk or do you just push through and, and learning that everyone has a different way that they deal with their own pain. Um, so for some people it is like, okay, no, we need to stop and take a break while I, feel this one out. And then for other people, it's like, I would rather just put the hammer down and go and like run through this, you know, that's like an easier strategy. So that was the both the hardest, but also the the biggest learning potential as well of, um, yeah, figuring out how to best work together as a team. And, and through that, learning so much about myself and my ways of living, I guess, <laughs> through adversity. You seem to be the I smile my way through things kind of person, but in the, what, 51 minutes I've known you? Yeah. <laughs> so, what, what, what did you find out? What was your lowest point and, how, and what is your process through those? Like how low did you get? Yeah. So personally, um, I guess two times. So the, the other female was having some pretty severe pain in her knee and her hip and it just kind of like chain reactioned. And so um, she ended up not being able to do the final section with us. Um, so that was like a really low moment of just, you know, we're trying to support her, but also you have to figure out what what it's worth, you know, is it is it worth completely injuring yourself and causing lifelong damage or 
or not. Um, so that was really tough and tough to learn what people need. Um, and then personally, the hardest, like body wise, it felt for me, um, I was having like some hip flare up, maybe from my lack of training going in, who knows? <laughs> um, anyway, and I was kind of wanting to just like keep running, you know, you've got your eyes focused on a target, and you know, the goal that you want to reach that day. And um, it almost felt better to just like get into this rhythm and boogie. Um, and so I was like running a few meters ahead. And that's when I was just bawling my eyes out. But it also at the same time, like felt kind of good to just like be going hard and to not give in to the pain. Um, but then kind of was reminded, hey, Emma, you're supposed to be like with everyone. I know that you're hurting, but like that's, that's, you still have this responsibility of being with the team. You reminded you or someone reminded you? Somebody did. And, okay. and then I was like, oh yeah, totally. You're right. Oops. I'm a jerk. So um, yeah, that was good to learn. Well, did anybody describe this? Would the word irresponsibility ever come up in the sense where like, if I just saw like the bullet points of like, this was their training meeting in and this was their like, is somebody being set up for failure here? And that's part of the lesson learned or either way, this was going to be a successful trip, whether it went perfectly according to plan or not, mm. I guess is what I'm wondering. Because right now I'm thinking like, God, like I probably would have had a stress fracture by day three and then I would have been unable to continue, <laughs> for example. Mm. So like, was that ever discussed? Yeah, I think so. Like the training that they did give us, they gave us a long time in advance. So there was appropriate time to, to build okay. up for it. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, part of it was it's supposed to be hard. It was supposed to be a challenge. So if we had to, like we weren't running hard or fast. It was more just the the prolonged nature that made it really tough. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I think in some ways like failure was hopefully incorporated into it. You know, that's like a large part of what athletics is about and should be about. Um, and also to learn and grow from that. Like you, you need to have a tough time in order to get the most out of a situation. Yes, you do. We <laughs> just talked about that, didn't we, Bracken? Yeah. Yeah. Doing big things changes you. Mm -hmm. You slept in tents? Yeah. Yeah. What was the wildlife situation like? Didn't see tons, actually. No. Um, some camels. Snakes didn't get in? Some snakes, some scorpions. Um, but we didn't have many close calls. Yeah. And and I guess the difference between, I mean, there are many differences between competing and completing. Mm -hmm. But when you compete, you arrive to the finish line worse than what you started. Yep. But sometimes there's a possibility in these really long journeys that if you're if you're healthy, you're in better shape by the time you finish. So what was what was your personal ending like compared to how you started? Right. I mean, so I in some ways it does feel like we com competed. Like it wasn't an easy thing of just strolling around. So I was No, hurt, completion hurt. doesn't mean easy. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> completion means not quitting. Yeah. Um afterwards i maybe not like directly afterwards i didn't feel more fit but in the the following time i certainly did um part of that i'm sure is physically because of what we had done but i think the bigger thing was mentally like having done that or succeeded i guess we could say or have that accomplishment on my belt <laughs> um it it really did make my mind a bit 
like a lot more open to what can be done and what our our minds and bodies can endure. So I'd say in that regard, I felt way more fit and capable. I'm anxious to understand, like this obviously pro uh, propelled you uh, forward into some other endeavors, which led you to today. So I, I want to know what those were, obviously, right? So mm -hmm. moving up. You're 18, 19 now. You've spent a year, you and your mom spent a year away from your dad and your brother. Yeah. So she came home after like, I think mom came home after six months and then I stayed for another while. Um, yeah. So we did like Skype for Christmas and <laughs> a few letters sent back and forth. Still India or did you, you, you moved where next? Yeah. I traveled throughout Asia. Okay. Um, went over to Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, and then some time in Europe. And then by that time, my brother had moved to Europe for a year of school in Switzerland. So we met up for a week, which was really fun. Who is guiding you through this adventure? Uh, buses and planes and <laughs> trains. <laughs> All right, right. But nobody other this impossible to possible experience was over. They were now not affiliated with the rest of your travels. Yeah, this was correct. Just a young girl out seeing the world and making decisions based on what you felt like doing and experiencing. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. I mean, once you're over there, it's it's pretty uh, pretty easy to travel and pretty easy to meet other people that are doing neat things or to go into a a bookshop and look at a guidebook or do a quick browse on the internet or it like yeah if you have some interests in mind there's there's plenty of areas to go to how do you feel that your you earned the confidence from your parents who still probably felt responsible for you <laughs> like like if i think of myself at 18 going in over and doing that my mom wouldn't sleep a wink and she'd have a panic attack every night until i came home safely right yeah she, sure. so like you obviously earned that somehow how well, how come <laughs> how did that work sneaky i tricked them <laughs> so it was no um i partly we spent lots of time traveling or being outside together. So they were able to see my decision making in the progress, I think. And then traveling with mom while we were in India, that really helped. Um, <laughs> that was not always the most, uh, it, it was it's just like a very interesting place to travel. Um, so we learned a lot there and was able to apply a lot of those lessons to yeah. elsewhere we went. So, I mean, I'm sure they had some worry, but, uh, they also wanted me to do what I wanted and live my life. And there's definitely some stories that I didn't tell them and I still have not told them, but <laughs> yeah, for the most part, without, okay. There's nothing you want to confess right now on this podcast? Uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> uh, I'll think about it. Maybe by the end, I'll come back to it. All right. Well, then I'm going to ask another personal question. How did okay. you finance this? Good question. Um, I had saved a bit of money up prior. Um, and then my when my grandparents passed, um, mom and dad took some money away for my brother and I as like a college fund or university. Um, and so I was able to convince them that I could use part of that to travel, <laughs> um, knowing that I would still go to school afterwards and then I would make the money back and and replenish it. Um, but yeah, it was I'm, I'm like extremely frugal. So we, instead of taking a, a rickshaw or a tuk-tuk, I would walk places <laughs> with my all my backpacks on me or um, yeah, eat. like there's 
one place I stayed where I was able to live for a dollar a day. So pretty, pretty inexpensive overall. Um, but yeah, certainly like extremely fortunate to have the support both um, financially and just the, like the blessing to go from my parents. Wow. All right. So you're 19 now. You're a full grown woman. Yeah. You're ready for college, for university. Oh, yeah. But you've just gone through this. Yeah. So I assume it changed potentially your course of study and definitely your athletic pursuits. So pick up there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was pretty sure before this trip that I wanted to study some sort of science, um, specifically environmental science, which is kind of a lot what I'm interested in. So this trip, it actually didn't change it that much um, okay. because I didn't—I I don't know—I didn't really get exposed to to much of like the traditional education. I saw so many other things. So part of me was like, ah, maybe I'll just delay it and I'll keep traveling. But um, probably good to to go home because I feel like that would just be a never-ending. Like, okay, I'm just going to live out here forever now, which yeah. there's nothing wrong with. But um, I did know that I wanted to try school. Um, so yeah, came back and then was deciding between rugby and running. Um, I still ha wasn't sure. I, I was convinced that running was a really powerful sport and that I really did enjoy parts of it, but um, I wasn't quite ready to give up rugby yet. But I thought, okay, I can try running for a year. And if I don't like it, I can switch to rugby as opposed to vice versa. Playing rugby at a university level, I would have had to you know, bulk up quite a bit and the risk of like a serious injury would also be higher than that of running. I know running has tons of injuries, but, um, you know, less, less of the like broken concussion, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I decided I'd try running for a year cause I hadn't ever given it the time or space. Um, and I did it at university of Calgary. And, uh, for some reason it was really fun. It was way more interesting than I thought it would be uh, a lot more calculated and, great to work with a coach and teammates and to to push yourself and see some growth so I did it and I liked it what type of running so started with cross country um and then a bit of track but track I always found was hard on my body the like transition I would go in all eager and then stress fracture or something so how often did you stress fracture <laughs> five yes in college or since then um in university yeah college how many years were you there? Five. So you just knock one stress fracture out per year. Yeah, I didn't have one the first year. And then I had one like once I was done, I guess, so like the summer after university. Well, Kirk's the stress fracture guy. Well, right. Let's compare stars. What did you break? Um, one in each tibia, one in each foot, and then one in the femur. Oof. You had a femoral stress fracture? Yeah. Was that your last one? No, second last. What was that like? Um, it was funny actually. So I went, uh, over like to <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I went to race, the uh, the FISU. I don't actually know what it stands for, but it's like the world university games for cross country, um, in Italy. And that was in like early spring. And when I landed, I felt like I had this like weird ache in my thigh and I thought it was just from flying. So I was trying to roll it out and stretch it before the race. Um, and then raced and it was fine. And then a few days later, well, I stuck around to um, hang out in Italy for a few weeks after. I was able to rearrange chemistry labs and stuff to make it work. Um, and so I was traveling in Cinque Terre, Cinque Terre, the town 
there's like five towns along the coast. They're all like really beautifully colored houses you see mm -hmm. pictures of. And there's a lot of stairways between the towns. So you can walk between most of them. And so I was going down some stairs and then felt the sharp pain. I was like, oh, what? Wait a minute. I know kind of what that pain feels like. Oh, no. Um, and then, yeah, once I got home, I, it still was hurting and I got a bone scan and turns out it was a stress, stress fracture. But it's so interesting how the pain differs to different places, like feeling it in the, my thigh. And then it actually was like lower down on the rear of the femur. So kind of weird. I've been there, not yeah. the femoral, but yeah, yeah, I think I've had, I think I'm somewhere in the realm of nine or so stress fractures at this point, but only two, three, three in college was some bad. So, um, <laughs> so much, and yeah. they were tibia, tibia and metatarsal. Um, I, you, I, I want to know, like going into that college, uh, you said the University of Calgary, mm -hmm. um, you took a whole year off of competing as far as coaches knew you disappeared, mm -hmm. but you were good enough. Like you're like, Hey, I'm back. <laughs> and I, I, I used to do pretty good. Can I get on the team or were you actually actively recruited in on some sort of scholarship? No. So th at the time, the university I went to was pretty low key in terms of its running program. Um, there were some scholarships offered once you're on it, but nothing like a full ride or anything of that sort. Um, so yeah, pretty much like anyone could be on the team and then you do different time trials and events to, to formulate who would get to go, like actually travel to races. So um, I was on kind of no matter what. And the coaches that were there, I'd had some interaction with prior and they had wanted me to join the club earlier. So I think they were just excited that finally I was ready to, to give it a go. Did you, okay. did you have some success in between stress fractures or was it too disjointed? No, it was okay. I mean, like the cross country seasons, they always went fairly well, um, which was really nice. Uh, the stress fractures were often, yeah, in that like indoor track phase. So I would kind of do most of the season and then go into summer a little bit broken, which was okay because I worked out of town anyway and didn't really want to run because wanted to do other things <laughs> and then would come back for cross country and slowly build fitness and like kind of feel sort of fit by the time nationals came around. Now you said you did fairly well. So if mm -hmm. judging by any of your earlier mm -hmm. indications of how you use language, fairly well means you were very successful in cross country university. Is that true? Moderately. The first what number year. runner were you on the team? Um, depended on the year, but um, yeah, like the last four years, I was the top runner, I guess, for cross country at least. <laughs> what year does it depend? It depends on the year. Oh, I was the first runner every year. <laughs> what year are we missing? Here? The first year. <laughs> and how did you do at nationals? Uh, decent. The first year I got 54th or something, then it was down to mid 30s. And then I got, uh, I placed eighth and then fourth and then second. So it was a fun, like, divide by two for the last yeah, few years. You did, you did okay, is what you're saying in national, in, in your college cross-country <laughs> season. Yeah, but I, I don't know, cross-country, I think um, it played into a lot of my strengths in that it would often be windy or snowy or hilly. And so, like, some of my other training or life stuff could help me out as opposed to, like, a flat fast course that people would thrive on. Do you have to make everything humble? <laughs> no, Everything's it's, not, gotta be. it's not humble. It's, it's um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're making excuses for success. That's all right. <laughs> so you took second at nationals as a senior. Yeah. Super senior. Super senior, yeah. 
I assume that drew some attention in the running community up there. Um, some, yeah. But it's, I don't know, still fairly low-key in Canada for the most part. What were you running time-wise? We did some 5K cross-country races in Idaho. I think I ran like a 1647 or something. On a cross-country course. Yeah. And then uh, I, um, I'd have to look at some results to see the others. Cross-country, you can usually add 15 to 30 seconds for cross-country. Would you say that's about right, Kirk? For sure. Sometimes least, more. I mean, if it's a flat course, just terrain-wise, that's five seconds a mile right there. So that's at least 15 seconds. And if there's any hills, then it just goes from there, yeah. So you were, you were low 16 road or track 5K ability. Yeah, but I never... It. like i never tried yeah. a five or ten on a road okay. so that's all and this is still with a spring stress fracture and then summer not training <laughs> mostly training so, so in you different were ways training in different ways but without you you still had into you were second in the nation in cross country mm. and you were a 16 something 5k runner and you were a part-time runner kind of yes okay so, <laughs> so what what happened then after you graduated Bridge us now between grad. How long ago was the graduation? Twenty. Oh my gosh, twenty seventeen. That's so long ago. <laughs> four, so you're four years between there and now. Yeah. So bridge that now. You you graduate as a very very good runner. Yeah. Who's doing it from a training style, kind of recreationally. Yeah, I mean, it it wasn't intentionally. I. No, again, that's not a judgment. That's just like in the black and white picture of things. Yeah. Yeah. You were still undertrained. Right, for sure. So what happens now? What you get out of university and mm -hmm. what? Then I try and figure my life out. <laughs> um, I took a bit of time off. I traveled a little bit. I the least shocking thing you've said. To I me. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got where'd you go? A bit more time in Europe. Went for some races, and then just throughout Canada and the states on some road trips. Um, and then I. What did I do? Oh, I had surgery on my shoulder. It was subluxating and then it dislocated finally and stayed out for a long time. Um, it, funny story. Okay. I was working as a wildland firefighter and was putting my pants on and it dislocated. And so I figured, okay, it's time to get this taken care of. But I can't even get dressed. Okay. Um, so then I, I recovered from that and just kind of chilled. I did some like dog sitting for a friend for a little while and then um, did a bit of science work. And then that summer I worked um, as an environmental technician and that was kind of great. Actually, it was my first regular kind of nine to five weekends off job. Um, so it was actually quite good for some consistent training. So I ran uh, quite a lot just on some trails and roads up where I was living in Northern Alberta. Um, and then I did a few 10 Ks at the end of that year. And then I went and raced the mountain running championships for that in the summer. And then I went okay. to Europe for the worlds for that. Were you sponsored by someone? No. You were traveling and racing independently? Yeah. How did those 10 Ks, uh, how did those go? They're fun. It was different to try hard on a 10K on a road. Um, I Do you want the times? Is that what you're looking for? I'll take them. I'll never say no to times. Um, I I would have to confirm, but like somewhere like 35 and then high 34, I want to say. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you went to mountain running championship. And what was that like? It was so fun. 
had you transitioned in, sorry to cut you off mm-hmm. after I asked the question, had you started running mountains competitively yet? Or is that your first mountain race? Yeah. So I ran the, like the Canadian championships yeah. here. And then um, that was able to qualify me for the world. And how did the Canadian championship go? I placed second behind Emily Setlack, who's a super strong uh-huh. marathoner, marathoner, mountain runner. So you took to the mountains immediately, second in your first national championship. Yeah, but it's Canada. Like, not many people are in it. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah you just roll out of bed and take second. <laughs> That's easy to do in Canada, yeah. I, I wanna, can I stop real quick? I just want to slow it down in one regard. Yeah. Um, you're so casual about your progression in the sense where I, I never feel like you've told me a decision has been made to do anything yet. You're just like, oh, and I happened to do some racing and I was running a little bit. And, but I have never heard, like, I decided to do this. Mm-hmm. Have you decided that you were a runner yet? Or are you still undecided? I can't quite figure it out. Good do question. You, you know what I'm asking? You can yeah. see why I'd be asking. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, um, and I, I've definitely struggled with that. Uh, I, like, I want to call myself a runner for sure. But um, <laughs> you, if you don't, <laughs> everybody else will. So you're screwed in that. Regard. I know. But I, yeah. I think partly the the lack of consistent training has really made it hard for me to like believe that I am that. Um, so I'll do it for a little while and feel really good and feel strong and feel like I'm in tune with my body and, you know, running some good times or, or feeling good. And then an injury will cause like a, a time off. And then in that time off, I kind of get used to it. And it's hard for sure, but it's also not the worst because I like doing lots of other activities. So like cross training is, is fine and it's fun for me. Um, but I, I, I definitely feel like I've got some unfinished business with running that I would love to be able to, to continue to pursue um, and have like a yeah consistent block of training. Um, I'm, so I'm excited for that at some point in my life, it'll happen. And there's, I, yeah, I mean, injury I feel like I can easily blame but a lot of it's my own doing as well like there's more that I could be doing in injury prevention or or I should take a more gradual progressive progression into running instead of getting all excited and um, I think I've been able to maintain my fitness well by doing other things which is both good but it's also bad because then when I get back to running I'm not limited by the fitness so then it's the bones and other things that are the weak point well yeah, I saw that you you and Jess O'Connell know each other fairly fairly well, or at least in some capacity. Yeah, so you guys can be kindred spirits that way. Yeah, with the, uh, injury and cross training and running situation. I didn't mean to stop your progression of question there, Brack. And I just no. I wasn't satisfied that you had decided you were a runner yet. And I understand. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I understand where you're coming from and what you're saying. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I guess finishing that thought up, then the injuries then have continued post collegially. Um, yeah, a little bit. I have had like periods where they felt really good. Um, but those often have been paired with times where I'm not really running with much direction. You know, I haven't, as Kirk mentioned, I hadn't made a decision to, to do something or commit. And so was just kind of running for the fun of it and was able to feel healthy and, you know, run sometimes every day, but just in a relaxed manner. Yeah. That makes sense. So you get to nationals, take second, you go to world mountain championships. Mm-hmm. Where was that held that year? It was in Andorra. Oh, um, yes. So it's that tiny little country between France and Spain in the Pyrenees mountains. 
I was there a couple of years ago. Really? Cool. Beautiful. What were you doing there? Uh, my sister played basketball in Spain. Oh, nice. And so her, the town she was in was just 45 minutes from Andorra. So oh, we went up there. Oh, so cool. Hey. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Such a neat country. In fact, last week I lost a crown on Strava from her town in Spain. No. And I'm really torn. Oh. Because Does she still live there? No, she doesn't live there anymore. Oh, well, you can go back. It's still so nice. I feel like ego-wise, I have to go back and defend my honor, but that's that's quite the process for a Strava segment. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> Anyways, Andorra, how did that go? Um, it was fun. I had, shocker, had a bit of a injury going in, um, I think from some of those road 10Ks. And so I wasn't training tons going into it and mm -hmm. also wasn't living in the mountains prior. So that like, that's my, my least favorite feeling with racing is getting there and knowing that like, I just can't be trust my training or, or at least not, I'm not proud of it, you know? Um, yeah. mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I felt there, which wasn't awesome. What, what was the distance that day? It was just over 10 K with like, Oh, I want to say 1,200 meters of elevation gain. So basically up one of those ski hills. That was the short course championship? Yeah, yeah, short course for sure. Um, yeah, and also feel obviously a bit more pressure when you're representing your country too. You're wanting to, yeah. to perform well. But it was so cool to to see all these athletes from all over the world. And um, mountain running in Canada is still pretty low-key, but in a lot of other places that's like a big deal. So pretty humbling to to see these professionals there from all over doing super well. How did you fare against the best? Mm, I think I placed 36. Um, yeah. And were you the top Canadian? Second Canadian. Second again? Yeah. So you did your country justice? Yeah. I, yeah. Yes. <laughs> she knew she was capable of more. That's the problem. Yeah. 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 So that was 2019? Yes. Well, I just want to know through all this time, I mean, I saw a super sweet photo of you as a firefighter on your Instagram, mm. are you now, are you like, are you a firefighter during this? What are you doing? What are you doing at this time? Like we know you're running, but clearly you're not, this isn't how you're making your living. I think. <laughs> uh, right. So yeah. what do you, what do you do? Just so I can paint the full picture as we progress to today. Right. What do you, are you a firefighter? What, what are you? I Emma? am. Yes. Yeah. So in university in the summers, I worked for doing as a wildland firefighter for the most part and then did a bit of science work. And then um, just now for the last year and a half, almost I uh, have been a structural firefighter in the city. So that's like a full-time type career-ish job. Okay, but you've been working in that, let's say general field in some capacity, even through these races we're talking about, you're mm -hmm. still employed and working. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're second firefighter in a row we've had on here. Yeah, nice. I saw that other episode, that's so cool. Are you an anomaly in your field? Of work? Yeah. Being female? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think our department's 1,400 people and there's like 40 females. Uh -huh. um, and not all those are on the floor. So I've yet to work with another female, which is also partly why I was so excited by Nicole's initiative here of um, just elevating women. Like it, it goes pretty well with the job as well of trying to, you know, show people that they are capable and it's the job that they can do. And same with this sport, like it's okay to try it and do it. Um, and I think there's a lot of parallels too with life. Like if somebody can be strong and do something, then I hope that 
that can help them in, uh, you know, a, a bad relationship or if they're out on the street at night or if they're being abused at work, you know, it's, it's more important than racing itself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Why, uh, why firefighting? What's the appeal for you? Did, is, was that a plan or did it just happen? Or obviously you seem to enjoy it. Mm, I do enjoy it a lot. I, yeah, it's a very fulfilling job for me so far. Um, yeah, the, when I started Wildland, it was mostly to be outside in the summers and be away from the city <laughs> uh, after university, just to work hard, be outside, work, hang out with friends all the time. It was really fun. Um, and then it's a seasonal job, though, so not the most sustainable going forward for all of life. Uh, you're also like off in these camps or living in really remote parts of the province. So again, not the most sustainable if you're thinking family or even other connections, places or, or races. <laughs> um, and then also the, the meaningful factor. Um, sometimes I'd be, you know, you're fighting a fire way off in the woods that will probably just put itself out or, or it's better sometimes <laughs> to like let nature run its course. So I found that um, I was always driven to work hard, but I still was wanting to come home at the end of the day and know that I like impacted something in a positive way. Um, so it got me interested in, in the art of firefighting, but then uh, realized it wasn't something I wanted to do long-term and the application opened up for the city and some other friends were applying. And so I kind of considered it and thought, well, might as well throw the application in and go from there. Um, and then it was a fairly long application, like three years, I think I want to say, um, just with all the steps that are entailed and budget cuts and things like that. Um, so throughout that time, it was great to, to figure out if it really was something I wanted to do. And of course, as every step happened, it became more apparent that it was something that I really truly wanted. Um, I think largely it's the the accountability that's required for it. Like I need to show up and be so dialed both mentally and physically through every single day of the career. Like I don't just get there and put my feet up. It's, there's always things that you need to work on because um, there are literal lives depending on it. So um, definitely like a, a humbling and eye-opening career, but I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. Obviously becoming a firefighter in general is, is not a guarantee. It's a difficult process and they don't select a, a high percentage of their applicants. Mm -hmm. Was it more difficult as a female or were you found, did you find that you were treated pretty fairly? Um, I, I found I was treated fairly for sure. Um, some parts of it for sure, I think might be more difficult. Um, but then other parts might be more easy. <laughs> so okay. it, it just depends. I mean, yeah, like having a, a larger structure of a body would be helpful in some situations. But on the other hand, having a smaller one or one where I have to use my brain more is actually like more beneficial. So just different. How tall are you? Five, four. Okay. So you said you haven't worked with another female on the floor yet in a year and a half. Yeah, correct. Which means most likely none of the men you've ever worked with have worked with a female. <laughs> yeah, maybe like the odd time. And you're five four. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> Has was that was that a longer process than usual for a rookie to build their trust? Or were they kind of like, hey, you're here, you're you're good from the start? What was that like? Mm. Um well we went through fairly extensive training, which was really helpful to 
to go and do all the skills there. Um, mm -hmm. And the training officers, I trust that they do what they can to like not let somebody out onto the floor unless they believe that they can do everything. So mm -hmm. I, I tried to use that as a bit of a confidence booster of like, okay, well, I, I should be here or else they would have pulled me out earlier. Um, but yeah, my first haul I was at, I think the average weight was like over 220 pounds, like big, big fellas um, who are hard on probation firefighters because that's how you learn and how you gain respect and trust and gain a work ethic. So um, there were some difficult moments, but I'm so happy that I started there because it they just pushed me to to show them that I could do it and to show myself that I could do it as well. So I'm not sure if it took longer than it would for a male rookie or anything like that. Um, it's it, but the, the job itself like doesn't discriminate. It's not like I'm going to go grab a lighter ladder or I'm going right. to grab the lighter patient that we're rescuing. Like it there's yeah, whether I'm female or five, four or not, like I have to be able to do it. So, um, I think there's, I'm sure there's still a lot of people that look at me and are like, no way. Like, what are you doing here? You can't, you can't do this. But that's kind of another fun challenge, I guess, is once you show someone you can, then it can open their eyes a little bit. That's all it is, right? I guess in a field like that, they don't care who's grabbing the line next to them as long as they can hold on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're, you're full-time firefighting now. You're top 36 at World Mountain Running Championships. You're top two in your nation. You have a future there. What piqued your interest about OCR? Because we usually get, and I mean this not as negative as it'll sound, because <laughs> Kirk and I are part of the people I'm talking about, but we usually get castoffs. Mm. We usually get people that can't quite cut it at the level in their sport, and they need another another factor in their sport to be good. Like I wasn't fast enough to just be a national level track runner, but if you added in strength work or mm -hmm. obstacles, now I could be a national level obstacle. So like we mm -hmm. get the people who don't quite have it in whatever other field, but they will have it in this field. Or we get high-end runners at the end of their career when they're interested in trying something else. Mm -hmm. You're four years out of university. You're a top two in your nation mountain runner. Why are you interested in OCR now in your prime? Or maybe not even in your prime yet. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, a lot of reasons. It looks so fun. Part of what my hesitation with committing fully to running was, was like not wanting to have to make other large sacrifices. Like mm -hmm. I would, I want to go out and ski all day and then go climbing or biking or paddling. Um, so the, the variety of obstacle course racing was appealing for sure. Um, and also the, the fact that those other activities can probably benefit this sport as well. Um, and then the other note is with the job I have, I definitely need upper body strength. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm always going to have to work on and always be doing more to improve it, um, which that is not always the most ideal for all running. Uh, it can be in, in some events like detrimental, the more that you have carrying around. Um, mm -hmm. But in, if I'm wanting to do this job, like I need to have that. So um, obstacle course racing seemed kind of perfect because it would, I can still run and compete hard in that element, but I can also work on strength and go through these fun playgrounds. 
Hoop. I'm satisfied with that. Yeah. Did, did anybody put that idea in your head or did you stumble upon this or where, like why, where some people don't even know it really exists. They won't even know how to start. And here you are on a, on a pro team already. So where did you, I mean, pretty cool. Where, <laughs> no air quotes. Um, where, where, uh, where did this idea come from? I guess, how did you become aware? Mm, uh, Faye Stenning and Jess O'Connell are business partners and they met through track in our town. And then, so I met Faye through that as well. When I was at university, she had graduated by that time, but she still came and practiced with us sometimes. Um, and then I kind of followed along as she switched over and tried this sport, which was pretty cool. Um, but I still was wanting to just focus on running or try and focus on running. Um, but it always in the back of my mind, like looked pretty exciting and fun. And then, yeah, different friends have like said, oh, you, you'd be so good at it. Like you've got the strength, you should try it. Um, so started looking into it. And then I was planning on doing a race this summer anyway, and then saw Nicole's thing and thought, oh, wow, cool, I'll apply. But if I don't get it, that's all good. I'll still, I'll still plan to race anyway. So, you know, I'm sure it raised some eyebrows when you were chosen. Mm. I'm sure there were women in the sport that said, hey, I've been here. I've been grinding away at this. I deserve this more. But at the same time, I don't know if I could think of a better person to bring on board for the purpose of this program, which is not only to promote from within, but to facilitate people coming from outside in. Like you are the archetype for what we want in this sport. It's someone mm -hmm. who loves outdoors, loves working hard, loves challenges, and is a super strong runner and competent in the mountains. Like that is what you want in this sport in order to build out the high end of the sport. So there was some question about why, but I think you've answered the why. This We have, they already chose some women who are already in the field mm -hmm. and need maybe, you know, a boost up to really go after their dream. But I think you represent that what we all hope comes in from outside of our our little realm into the realm to make it bigger. Thanks. I hope I can do some justice to it. We'll see. Kind of nervous to uh, try the race. Well, you should be. That's that's yeah. the way adventures work, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh no, nerves are great. What what excites you? So we have short course. We have ultra distance. We have <laughs> fitness based like DecaFit or stadiums. Then we have like CrossFit style like high rocks with lots of running. And then we have the off road races. There's Spartan version. There's mm. the Savager OCR Worlds where it's very very obstacle and grip intensive. From uh, I know you haven't done this yet, but based on what you know about yourself and what excites you in your skill set, what are you targeting first? that you think you're going to be ready for? Yeah, that's a great question. I have, I'm, I'm definitely going to like fall back on Nicole's mentorship and also the other coaches to give some guidance for this, because honestly, at this stage, I'm a little all over the place. Like it all looks okay. fun. Like a fast one would be sweet. And then also, I don't know, we work 24 hour shifts and I kind of like that where you're just going nonstop and you're seeing what your body and mind can do. So part of me thinks like the long ones could be really fun too, but um, probably in terms of like my running right now, it, I would be better at the five to, to like half marathon distance, kind of like that middle range. Um, and then with the obstacles, it's hard to tell. I've been trying to watch races to see them mm -hmm. and trying to mimic it at like a playground or something, but 
it's so it, like the pros make things look so easy. They just jump and fly like a monkey, whereas I'm sure like, there's a lot of technique and strength to it. So um, it's hard to say until I try if I would like the more like savage or OCR or uh, I'm not sure exactly the terminology quite yet, but those ones versus the like kind of easier and faster type running races. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, right now I'm just eager to try a race at some point. So I'm hopeful that one can go through in Canada soon and then maybe some restrictions will ease and can travel down to the States, at least for the fall is kind of my, my hope right now. What have you changed about your training now that you know um, you have these these adventures coming up, so mm -hmm. to speak? How how is your approach differed now? Has it? It has, um, yeah. Be, with the addition of um, the support from grit coaching, it has definitely changed, which is so great. Um, before in the weight room, I would just do really random things, kind of like whatever I felt like doing at the time, and do circuits and try and work on things that I was weak at, um, but not always the most structured. So now um, I've got some good programs from them that, again, they help my my job, and then they also um, go directly towards more obstacle-based strength. So that's changed. And then um, with the running and the cross training, that's stayed fairly consistent so far. I'm just trying to like build up some durability um, for the body. So I'm not, I'm not really doing workouts or anything yet, but sometimes when I'm like on the bike or skis, I'll, I'll obviously have interval type work. <laughs> that just is the nature of where you are. But um, so yeah, at some point, my hope is to get to like be able to run a few workouts a week, some, some other easy runs and stuff. Kirk and I have seen a lot of injured athletes in our time, mm. as I'm sure you have too. And when you start talking multiple stress fractures, mm -hmm. it really generally comes down to one of three things. It's you lost the genetic lottery. Mm -hmm. You are severely overtraining and under eating or under you're not providing the nutrients, or you have some weird structural hitch to your gait that you're impacting the ground strangely. I'm sure there are other reasons, but it's usually, you just mm -hmm. have naturally, this is your, your, your setup, you're doing something too much of it or you're not feeling well enough. Mm -hmm. Looking back at you, I mean, five stress fractures plus more injuries post-collegiate, have you identified what has been causing all of this? Uh, kind of, but it's still a bit of a mystery. So yeah, I agree with those three main categories that you mentioned. Um, I, most of the ones I've gotten have come on like with not tons of running. And so I would be frustrated because they're called overuse injuries. And I'm like, no, I'm hardly overusing myself at all. I don't mm -hmm. want to seem like a, a runner that just like runs past all their limits and is obsessed with it. And then that's why I get injured. So, but if you're, if your body's a bit out of line or if things aren't moving correctly, then it doesn't take all that much impact to, to cause an injury. Um, so I think for me, it, it's more that of like, I'll maybe have a really tight calf and then my ankle won't be moving well. And then I'll just be landing like really hard on the outside of my foot. And I decide I'm feeling good and there's other pains in running. So you don't even notice that your foot's hurting and you decide to like, oh, I feel good. So I'm going to try run 5k pretty hard right now just to see how it feels. And then all of a sudden a week later, you're like, oh, ouch. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So I think it's. Yeah, I've I've had bone density done and that's that all checks out and I've always been like a very good 
eat a lot and okay. <laughs> a good balanced. So um, that's what I think is that it's like sort of that overuse, but not not necessarily in terms of mileage, but just overuse on on something that's not loading properly. Okay. Do you think that OCR is an inflammatory aspect or, you know, cog to throw in, or is it something that's going to provide you the freedom to not ever touch pavement if you don't want to stay off road and to do more strengthening exercises that fix this? Do you think this is good or bad for your career in terms of injury? I think good. I think that because it's not just about the running, there's less of a need to like like track is so specific and you are talking like seconds or milliseconds that you're trying to hone in on. Um, and there's standards you have to meet and you're in spikes and you're running in circles. Like there's, I don't know, there's, yeah, it's, you're, you're doing everything you can to break your time down by a really small margin. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas what I liked a lot about cross country and then that and mountain running, and then that also is very similar to OCR is there's all these other variables. So you can't really, train perfectly for it because there's it's never going to be the same and so yeah hill running is helpful downhill running like running on loose rocks and then also being able to recover fast and calm down and do these obstacles so i i think it'll help i think it'll take the pressure off me knowing okay you don't have to run like a crazy 5k time in order to possibly do well it's more of a like durability and do something that you can sustain throughout a season yeah, I like that answer. So with all this, then we we bring ourselves to present day. Um, and what what are, what are our plans looking like now? Now that we can maybe race again, this is what we really need to know now. Yeah. What, what are we doing? Um. So originally, Nicole and I talked about trying to do the race in Utah, and then the race in West Virginia. Um, but not sure how travels looking for those so far there was a race in ontario for mid-june that i had booked flights to but that's been canceled um so currently i'm hoping to race in um there's some spartan races in mid-july in golden which is um in a small mountain town in bc which is actually where the canadian mountain running championships were a few years ago when i ran them um at the ski hill so i think that would that's my like plan right now just judging on how things are going border wise uh, but if things open up then it'd be fun to go down south um yeah so race those and hopefully get a bit of a feel for the obstacles i'm thinking i might just race like three races or something that might be overkill for my bones we'll see but um just to get time on obstacles and try yeah. even if i'm like fatigued and can more just complete it that would be nice um and then yeah, maybe go down to it's West Virginia that's in August, end of August. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would be that'd be really cool to go and be with a bit more competitors. Um, do you um do you as far well, I guess as far as the Canadian races go, are those the only? I don't know what the race uh, schedule looks like up there. Mm-hmm. Is it pretty much your only option right now? Is to go mm-hmm. to Golden for as like you have no tune-up races that you can hop into before you come race the big boys and girls down here it's like you don't have much of a it's trial by fire for you is that what it's going to end up being yeah i think so yeah so like in in that regard i'm kind of yeah i'm hopeful that golden happens so that i can go there and just learn a bit instead of going and having my first race with the big in the big show 
be like a total disaster, which I'm like, I'm okay with it happening, but I think it, <laughs> it'd be more beneficial to, to have some experience going in so that I can, you know, get to an obstacle and have done it once as opposed to trying to learn. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, no matter how fast you are, there is a, le- a little bit of a learning curve. Mm-hmm. And- and it's just you're such a unique situation because you're over you're north of the Canadian border. You have l- almost zero race opportunities in this in this world, and so that combo is just like you got a few hurdles to overcome there because exposure to that stuff is everything. It's one thing mm-hmm. to go to a to a local race and learn as you go, right? Maybe in Golden, you can kind of learn as you go and still perform very well. But when like you know the seconds matter and the in the going through obstacles efficiently, where you're not sucking the life out of yourself to get through it. And then going back to running, it's just like, a, it's, it's a, it'll be fun to watch it play out. I can tell you that like from a spectator point of view, I mean, obviously you got some quite some running credentials, so it's, you just gotta, you just gotta get on course and feel it out. It's all you can do. Yeah, for sure. I know I've been looking into like trying to build some obstacles at home or something to, to practice. Cause a lot of it does, I don't know, same as with climbing, like there's a way to do things efficiently that you you end up expending so much less energy and you do it faster and then you're you're better off for the next obstacles as opposed to like going and and working yourself so hard and it's just kind of like this spiral of the harder you work the slower you're going to be and then the harder you're going to have to work and the slower and anyway but not thinking that way I'm hoping that I'll just (laughs) I can learn somehow. Well, Bracken, you came, I mean, maybe it was more seamless for you, but I feel like that was the biggest thing initially for me was I would get so tense on obstacles that I would exhaust myself more and it impacted my running afterwards. Maybe I got through the obstacle just as quickly, but with twice the exertion because I was so intense and tense in that moment. And then it sucks kind of the life out of your running. So that's where like just repetition can help Mm -hmm. with understanding. Bracken just jumped right into the sport and won, I think, right away. So he's kind of an anomaly, but... No, I didn't. Okay, basically. I got I got spanked by Hobie my first race. You and everybody else. And then I DNF'd my second race. No, not DNF'd. I got DQ'd my second race. Oh no. Is this one of those cheating stories you're talking about? No, no, this was <laughs> there was an obstacle and you had to complete it. And uh, you had three tries and oh, I failed wow. it three straight times. Oh man, that's tough. I was coming right out of college track. I was yeah. like six months afterwards and I was fast and I didn't have any grip strength. That's okay though. You got to start somewhere and learn. That's right. So do you have any obstacle gyms or permanent courses that you can get to, or is this, you're really just going to show up and wing it? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I've been looking at those permanent courses. Those are sweet in the States. Um, I haven't found anything up here that's like that. Um, There is one in Calgary though. And I went to it once before they closed down for COVID um and yeah it's called core fit and they have a bunch of obstacles so i'm hoping that that can open up again and can go try them out more because yeah they had like some walls and um a net um some bars and stuff it got a bit of a feel no i remember this feeling (laughs) i remember that stage where i had just seen what it could be and I'm just f- trying to find videos and I'm trying to like do mental reps in my head to feel what it would feel like. And I was going over, jumping over fences at baseball fields and, you know, trying to get a feel. I remember that feeling and you can get most of the way there with mental reps and figuring it out on local little jungle gyms. It's not ideal, but you can get mm-hmm. probably 75, 80% of the way there. Okay. 
Good and then you'll pick it up really quick. Yeah. Or you won't. <laughs> yeah. I feel if like the if I can work on getting all the strength there. Yeah. That then hopefully the technique can come. And and again, if not, then oops, I tried. I'll keep trying. Maybe it'll take ten years. <laughs> I mean, when you get to a big race, you're either going to have a big pack of women to watch, mm-hmm. or you're going to be so far ahead that it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, either way, it's going to be exactly what you need. I'll just bank on running fast and doing burpees. <laughs> We've had that work before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, burpees are tough, though. So I guess we'll see. Uh, I mean, we'll see. Uh, maybe at some of these U.S. National Series races, maybe in Golden, we're not missing anything. Are you going to still stay with the trail running and have some races on your calendar that way as well? Yeah, I mean, same thing. Don't really have much in terms of races that are like locked in. So um, do some other. Like, I don't. I, I don't struggle so much with motivation to work hard. So I can go and like pretend that I'm racing somewhere um, and have that same effort. And yeah, hopefully get some obstacle races at some point. Mm. Are you better uphill or downhill? Mm, I do like the uphills. Can you descend pretty well? Yeah. How are you on technical terrain? Pretty decent. Yeah. And do you rock climb at all? Yeah. All right. Well, I think you've checked three of the major boxes <laughs> for what you're going for the major boxes. And we already know you have the flat ground speed. So you're, you're five for five on the standalone skill sets needed for OCR. Well, and she carries humans that are in distress, which way more <laughs> bucket or sandbag. Yeah, yeah so, point. Look at that too. What else? What are you missing? That's my training. She can work for 24 hours straight. I mean, you on paper, <laughs> you're set up for success. I, I'm excited to see what happens when you finally get the chance to to find out. Thanks. I Now I'm scared that I've hyped myself up way too much and it's just going to be a total bust. But <laughs> Just remember that like... 10k into your first race (laughs) yeah yeah people are watching (laughs) why didn't i change my name (laughs) (laughs) and how privileged are you to be in that situation right and and it's truth be told as far as pressure the only pressure is put on by yourself because we once you're in the sport you understand what that first race really does no matter how talented you are it's like if you fail miserably we all go ah we'll get it we get it and she'll be back next time but if you don't it makes it that much more impressive and that's it's a win-win situation as a new athlete that's coming it really is isn't it bracken would you agree with that for sure and i mean we just lost nicole for the year unfortunately that's heartbreaking like eyes are going to be on rebecca and Lindsay and Faye and every single other female athlete there, those are going to be the eyes. You're going to have people commentating saying, and, and who is this? We don't know her in that, mm-hmm. in the purple sports bra behind, but uh, we'll keep an eye. You know, they're, they're going to have no clue. And so there's not going to be pressure anyways. Perfect. I'll wear black. Isn't that what you say? Oh, why do these people wear black? It's so hard to know what, who they are. Yeah, wear something that stands apart if you want to stand apart. If you want to blend in, wear a black black shorts and black sports bra, and we'll never know. American flag sports bra is what I'll wear. <laughs> really confuse people. <laughs> Perfect. Good approach. <laughs> if people want to follow along or catch up with you, where can people kind of uh, you know figure out what you're up to, social media wise, and all that? Um, yeah, well, through the Dream Team, and they post some stuff on there, and then I am on Instagram as well um it's my it's em and then my last name which is cook hyphen clark yeah i don't think there's a hyphen on instagram one i em cook clark yeah clark with an e yeah 
That's where I found that super badass firefighting photo, but no running history results of anywhere to be found. I was like, are we firefighter? <laughs> now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Emma, is there anything else you think that the general population of our sport needs to know about you? Oh, no, not. Anyone you want to thank? Anyone you need to, anyone that supports you getting here? Um. Yeah, I mean, everything through the OCR Dream Team is like pretty huge. That's That's been already life-changing um so the the support through all of them that i've mentioned um that organization i ran in india with that was huge family huge you guys huge everyone no, none of this is me my doing it's everyone else like i i don't think i i'm surprised at all by that final statement <laughs> uh, last question i have is your email still is at impossible to possible.com are you still associated with them or are you just one of those people you're still using your old aol account I just love when over the phone someone asks me my email, it takes me five minutes to tell them. <laughs> um, I I don't do tons with them. I should do more. Uh, but it it's still, I think, like the awareness factor of having it out there and people asking questions. Um, you know, it's better than nothing. So, yeah, still somewhat affiliated with them. And if people want, if they're intrigued by that, where do they go to find out more information other than just messaging you directly? Well, that's a good place to start. I mean, Totally welcome that. Uh, the internet, just their their website, impossibletopossible.com. The letter two, or number two, I mean. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by the, the letter two. <laughs> I'm not perfect, folks. Well, it's been a good chat. I'm, excited. I'm glad we got to know you today, and I'm looking forward to keeping an eye on the results this year. Thank you so much for taking one hour and 54 minutes of your time. That's very generous of you both. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's a win when we all don't get through this and don't have to pee, and we did it. So oh, it's really a big win. We, we sweated it out instead of having to pee. Let's, let's get the check. <laughs> oh, mine's a I, lot. Ew. I got I to switch it out. <laughs> <laughs> We all did it. We all yeah. put out well. Yeah. All right. Well, Emma, thank you so much, and hopefully we see you in West Virginia. Definitely. Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm.